Hello, hello, and welcome to the Women in Strength podcast. My name is Ro, and I'm your host around here. I'm freaking excited to have you join me so that we can talk all things business. Now, we're going to be breaking into topics, some really juicy conversations from things like systems, strategies, all of these foundation pieces that will really make sure you have a sustainable and thriving business. And we're going to sprinkle it and mash it up with real talk, conversations, topics, and things that we all experience as business owners. But quite frankly, I think we need to share a lot more of. So strap in. Things are going to get a bit spicy around here. I'm going to be opening up into topics that, you know, they might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but the idea is for us to build fucking amazing businesses. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Women's Strength Podcast. I am so freaking excited because I am looking at a Zoom screen with a good friend and mentor in my life who was like showed up in a dapper as fuck suit. And here I am in track suits and like a clean t-shirt. And I'm like, whoa, I'm winning at life. So we're setting the scene for a really interesting podcast today, which is going to be all about financial wealth. And my guest today is the amazing, incredible human that is Hayden Wilson. Hello, Hayden. How are you? Hey, Ro. Thank you for having me on. I'm honored to be here. I'm oh, very I'm so excited. I'm yeah. so excited. Now, before we get into questions um, and start to, I guess, unpack and have a discussion about this big, big topic, um, I don't want to kind of go and go, tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me what you do. So yeah. I've got a, a series of interesting and curly questions today. Mm. So if you can kind of explain to me in two sentences into our audience who you are um, and what's like one of the most favorite things about your job and about what you do. So mm. that's kind of what we're going to open with. Yeah. So I am a, a provisional financial advisor and I live here in Brisbane. I'm a dad. And I guess in a sentence, I love helping people uncover the mysteries of money and mm. not in a woo-woo kind of way, but more in a practical, grounded, useful, what can the everyday person do to increase their wealth, the stuff that may not be spoken about as frequently, but also not all the too much out there stuff that may be taking too much risk um, in, the, in that sense. So it's more so everyday person advice that you maybe want to hear at a barbecue, but good advice rather than just the general run-of-the-mill, oh, have you heard lithium's doing really well? Maybe oh, maybe we should put some money into that. It's more <laughs> so, okay, let's take a step back from that sort of shotgun approach and tighten it up. Yeah, and the- okay. And what's the... With that being said, like I just, oh, I'm just brimming to pull the string on that even more. Um, and what's like your favourite part of your job oh, yes. of what you actually do? I love now that I've moved into more of a strategic role, I think it's so interesting to take basically being able to take the building blocks of someone's financial life. So looking at their current situation and then looking at where they could be and actually building the the foundational blocks that will help them as best they can get towards those goals. So it requires a lot of thinking as far as holding and I think this, I think I thought about this a lot around someone's IQ and in different areas. But in some areas, the definition is having being able to hold multiple thoughts in your mind at one point in time that are all interconnected. And so, for example, if you're juggling plates, 
or spinning plates, you can't let, as soon as one starts to wobble, you've got to spin it again. And so if you've got two plates or one plate, it's quite easy. But then you add two and three and five, and all of a sudden it's quite hard because you've got to have your mind on different tasks. And so with financial, it's actually really interesting because say, for example, you've got superannuation or your investments or you've got your income and the tax consequences and all these things. I I think one of the things that we'll probably get into is people are being trained that these are siloed siloed areas of their life or their financial life that, but really they're actually interconnected. And I talk to a lot of clients about this being a jigsaw puzzle and what a, what a great financial planner actually does and financial advisor is being able to take all the jigsaw pieces of someone's wealth life and actually slot them together because anyone can mm. blindly say, go off and, you know, put contribute more money to your superannuation or, mm. you know, you should put $50,000 in an index fund. But that may not be the best advice at all because if you actually think about that person's personal circumstances, they might want to buy a house in two years' time and so if they're going to go go away and put $50,000 into the market, if that, say, drops 20, 25, even 10% over that time period, whatever it is, all of a sudden if they've put in 50 grand and it's dropped 10% and they go to pull it out in two years' time to maybe put a, a house deposit down, now that house deposit that they were earmarking is only $45,000. Whereas mm. at the start, if you started with that strategy and go, okay, well, you want to build a house in or go buy a house and put a deposit down in two years' time, is the stock market really the best option? Is there better options that may be better suited for that individual? So it's being able to, I, I really love being able to hold multiple thoughts in, in your mind based upon someone's overarching end goal they want to achieve and then thinking about the different scenarios that might help them build or protect their wealth along that, along that journey to make sure that, because really what, a major part of what financial advisors and financial advisory is all about is helping people see things that they can't see because they don't have awareness. They don't have education mm. or experience or expertise because they haven't studied it. So I wouldn't expect someone to have that, which is why mm. essentially outsource anyone similar to what you do is you're helping people see what they can't see, highlighting the advantages of doing something, highlighting disadvantages to ultimately help that person make the best decision possible. And that's what all mentorship or whether it's financial, whether it's uh, any sort of field where you're selling your expertise is all about helping that person make their own decisions. Yeah. And I love that. Like that's exactly because my, you know, my next kind of, um, I guess, statement or question that I want us to jump into is like, why have I wanted and asked you to be on the podcast? And that is like 110% why we're having this discussion is that, you know, why am I talking to you? Because there's so much confusion around these multiple spinning plates. And especially for my generation and especially for the business owners that are tuning into this podcast, it's like, well, I don't even know what plates to even put on the table. Mm. I don't even know what of those five plates make sense or if it's for someone else's life. And obviously, disclaimer here, you know, the the conversation that we're going to be having is not going to be individualized. It's going to be a conversation around concepts. But I think it's important to open this because business owners, my generation, people in their 30s moving into their 40s, we just want to know some basic stuff so that we can enter a conversation so we can be in a position to make decisions. So that's why Hayden is here. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. So I think with that, because 
um, I think that's such important points and a really good way to frame like financial advice in your head about the multiple plates and also business owner as a whole, business Mm -hmm. ownership as a whole. One thing that I wrote down that I want to kind of discuss is when I was looking at your bio recently, um, it says helping those in their 30s achieve financial independence in their 40s. And I want to kind of start there and go, okay, I think this is a really good starting base of like, what does that mean? And like, can we start to break into what you think that means, um, what that looks like for people of my generation and our generation? Because I don't know about you, who is someone who is a financial advisor, but this notion and this kind of identity of when I think about a financial advice before I met you and and know what you do was like old men in Mm. offices. And it's just not, you know, we don't connect with people that don't connect with our lifestyle and our thoughts and our values and stuff like that. And that's why I think people like our generation are so important. So I wanted to kind of break into that. Like what does that kind of mean is helping 30 year olds, you know, move into financial independence in their forties? Yeah. So if you imagine, Everyone has a number that they want to achieve. And let's call it the financial independence number, financial freedom number. It's basically all all those terminologies, what they actually mean is how much money would I need to have sitting in some sort of investment account or investments that would pay me passively what I need to support the lifestyle that I desire to live. And so if you have a goal of, okay, I have worked out my numbers and I want to have $100,000 coming in passively, whether I choose to work or not. Now, most of the people listening probably don't connect with the concept of retirement. They mm. love what they do, or at least are striving towards doing something that they love. And so the idea around stopping doing any sort of work would be detrimental to purpose and detrimental to their self-worth and whatnot, just like us. So I'm going to assume that the real goal is the option to retire or OTR, so we don't want to just sit on a beach and, and sip cocktails and all that kind of uh, crap. What we want to do is actually find investments that can support the lifestyle that we want to do so we can so we can do more of the things that we really enjoy. So once we find out part of what this number is or what this number is in, first of all, how much do I want to have coming in passively without me having to work? I can choose to work, but I don't have to. Once we work out that number, we can just reverse engineer that to find out, okay, well, that's how, then we find out, okay, how much, if I want that as a passive income right now, how much do I need to have invested to be able to generate that wealth? Now, a rough sort of figure is around 5% and accounts for certain inflations. It accounts for maybe a diversified portfolio across different spectrums. And what that does is now we've got the actual number as of today that we need in our bank account or in investments to support the lifestyle that we want to live. And so if we stem that back, we should go now, now we know what the goalposts are now. And we then look at where we are today. Okay. Well, right now my net worth might be, let's just say $50,000. So we've got, after you pay off your mortgage, if you have one, after you pay off all your debts, you look at your bank account, you look at any investments that you've got, and you go, okay, I've got $50,000, but I need to have $2 million in an investment account to be producing $100,000 worth of passive income per year. So I might $50,000, but I need $2 million today. So there's obviously a bit of a gap there between what that is, because if you put that $50,000 into investments, it's going to provide a lot less of a passive income and you're not going to be able to support yourself off just $50,000 invested. 
So with that in mind is we're actually trying to find out where is the goal, where are we at now, and then the fun part is actually building the strategies that will help you get there because we'll go down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but there's basically three types of assets. And so we've got the nest egg assets, which are the good guys. That's mm-hmm. the stuff that's invested. And I know super is kind of a bit of a uh, an unknown or a dark horse or something that people don't really concern themselves about, and perhaps we can get into that a little bit later. But nest egg includes your superannuation. It's invested in shares and companies and property and whatnot behind the scenes. Then we've got our active assets. So active is the business that you run or the wages that you receive, things that take effort and energy to keep going. And if we stop them, then no income is going to come in. And the last one is lifestyle assets. So this is the fun stuff. So your personal home, any boats, any cars, anything around of that nature, sheds perhaps, that sits inside of the lifestyle assets. So they're, they're nice to have and good to have. And, and most people like to have a roof over their head. But the problem is they don't actually return us any sort of income. So therefore, we don't classify them traditionally as investments in most cases. Mm-hmm. The challenge with most is they're really heavy on the lifestyle assets and maybe even really heavy, especially for business owners, on the active assets, but there's not enough transfer to the nest egg. And so what happens is if you stop working, there's nothing that's going to keep the machine, there's not enough momentum or gravity to help the machine continue to run. Mm. And so it's great to focus on just like a business owner, it's great to focus on revenue and great to reinvest back into yourself and into your business and into all the things that make the business machine run. But if you don't have one, an exit strategy or two, a way to, to be smartly pulling out those profits and putting them into other vehicles that generate wealth with or without you, or particularly without you in this instance, or passively money when you sleep, then it's only a matter of time because the biggest thing that we have as as an advantage for, say, people in their 30s is time. We've got time to allow the wealth to accumulate and bubble and, and grow inside of smart inside of smart assets. Because mm-hmm. we don't need it necessarily. If it's if we've invested with it, generally the rule is okay, I don't need that money to to live off right now. It's a it's a surplus. So therefore, if we can get that doing some smart things behind the scenes, whilst and then over the years, it compounds and compounds and grows and grows because if we think about it, what we're really doing is we're parking our money, allowing society potentially or or overarchingly to use that money to further our growth and further their own growth. And then while we're doing our thing, the more that we can do that, the more that that wealth over there is doing its thing without our input, without our effort, whilst we do our thing in businesses and actively growing. Okay. Yeah. This is, um, yeah. Okay. I'm going to, yeah, this is making sense to me. And I want to make sure that, you know, the audience, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase. So I'm on the right track. So when we're thinking like the people that are listening to the podcast and like, this is just resonating with me because I'm, you know, I'm in the, in the quote unquote trenches with the business owners that will be listening to this podcast. So what you see, correct me if I'm wrong, is you see a lot of people of our generation and well, it's not investing, but putting too much into their lifestyle assets, you know, the living, the, the mortgages, their, the material things, so to speak. And, 
on great, all good and well, you know, yes, you might invest in property and that's going to give you the quality of life and the safety and all of those things that are important to you. But on paper, it doesn't necessarily look, you know, it isn't necessarily an investment, right? And then when we're also putting um, our eggs into our active basket of running the business, working on the business, stuff like that, you see uh, a lack or not as much focus on that investment kind of basket. And that's that point of when we're in our 30s of going, okay, cool, we need to, if we really want to have this financial freedom and this financial independence, the reality is, is that if we do this in our 30s and we start opening this basket now, that is our superpower because we have got time. But that's one of the things that you don't see. Is that right? That, yeah, that's exactly right. So if you imagine a wick on a candle is if we think about life, and this is maybe a bit morbid, but if you think of a life as a candle and you've only got so much of that wick before the candle is ultimately burnt out and empty, there's no more wax. And so what happens is when we... When we're in our 30s, we've got quite a lot of wick left, and so there's time. But what happens is everyone is going to have an expiry on how long, essentially, how long they can work. You can theorize about it and say, I'm going to work till I'm 100, but in reality, what the statistics show is it's, it's earlier than that, and the mind starts deteriorating and the body starts deteriorating, particularly depending on, on what the job is. If you work purely with your mind, you can last longer, but if you're integrating part of your body, then it can it can start to break down. So People who purely work from a, from that angle, there's actually a shorter fuse or a shorter wick on that time frame before they're going to need the assets that can produce income without their energy or effort or their mind. And mm-hmm. so the biggest problem I see isn't necessarily overspending on lifestyle assets, although overspending, yeah, it's probably accurate. Overspending is the problem, but it's probably more so just having an awareness over how much do I actually need in that in that middle bucket or in those nest egg assets to be able to live the lifestyle that I want. So there's nothing wrong with living in a beautiful house and spending money on a, on a brilliant car that you really love and maybe you want to shed and that you can have your own home gym in and it's it's massive and there's two squat racks in there. It's a beautiful home mm-hmm. gym that you love working at. It's really inspiring. It's not producing any money. Let's just say it's your private gym. It's not producing any money, but it's what you really enjoy. That's fine as long as we have a strategy in that for that middle piece to grow to grow the wealth to the number that you actually need to achieve and so mm-hmm. without having a focus that is how they all interrelate as well is we do the work actively and, and build up our and use our active energy and building those assets to ultimately support the lifestyle that we want to live but where it connects back into the nest egg is actually one day we're not going to be able to keep refilling the coal in the train. We, there's not enough, we don't have enough energy to put back in there because of age and because of mind deterioration or because of some other reason that we can no longer produce an income. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is if our lifestyle requires $100,000 income per year to continue running, but we don't have a vehicle or don't have the enough juice in the tank to be able to support that, it's either going to be a drop-in lifestyle or other means to be able to produce that produce that income. Yeah, if, that makes sense. You don't sense. have an awareness on, on, okay, what's my strategy to be able to put into a vehicle that's going to produce that amount of money for me passively? It's just it's more so an awareness problem around, okay, what's my actual strategy? Because everyone, everyone actually does have a strategy. It's just that most 
people's strategies, particularly the people that, that I see, and we see it at, at the company that I work with, is they just don't have an awareness. What is my strategy to be able to achieve the things that I want? Because my current strategy of maybe spending a little bit too much or keeping money in a bank or investing but not investing in the right assets or vehicles, the strategy they're using is, is, is poor to okay to good, but it's generally not great. It's generally not exceptional. It's generally not what we see as the, as the highest and best use of, of the money. Yeah, so okay. we have to make either some major tweaks or some slight tweaks, depending on the person's situation. Yeah, okay. And correct me if I'm wrong, but, I mean, the work that – the company that you work for and, like, yeah. just the conversations that we're opening right now, yeah. I would assume that it's probably people that are older that are coming to you they're yep. coming to companies to go, hey, I need to sort this out now. Whereas like people of my generation, it's not really an awareness of like how great and how beneficial this can be to open this lens now, right? It's that, no, it's actually, the, I wouldn't say the opposite, but ah. it's such a broad range of, yeah, of okay. individuals. And so if you imagine the different life, life cycles and life stages is someone who say 50, 50 or 55 their main predominant goal is their wick is starting to, to burn lower to the ground. They may be tired from working or they're sick of the job that they've been doing or that generation is, yeah. is in a different bucket and they're thinking, okay, how do I pump as much money maybe into vehicles that are going to help me retire without having to keep up this effort? I don't want to work until I'm 70 or 75. What could I be doing now to be able to, to stop that from happening? Mm-hmm. And then on the opposite side, we have young people who are 25 to 30 who are okay? We're on great. Finished university, or I'm now professional. I'm earning. I'm earning some good money. I actually don't need all of it, and I want to be smart now with what I what I could be doing. What do you recommend that that I do at this stage? Mm, and then you've got okay. people in the middle as well who are maybe just like myself and yourself, who are established, but also really want to do the right things now and build some and continue to build on some solid foundations. To ultimately, in their forties, be able to take their foot off the the gas in one particular area to focus on another area, and and again, just produce options. Yeah. And so it's more so just a, it's a very actually a very broad range of people who seek financial advice as opposed to yeah, like that old demographic. But that that makes sense when you put it like in those kind of categories and like. Yeah. Just describe it right, because when you do think about people like fifty to fifty-five, you know, I'm thinking about. You know, someone that let's just say it's a a man that is working in a trade and he can't be on his knees doing painting or something like that anymore, and he wants to have options for his future. Yep. Then we think about the you know younger generation, and they have come out of university with that really good income, and it's like you know what, like I could blow it, but at the end of the day, like things are coming, things are more expensive. So there's that lens there. I want to, like, I think now that we've kind of got it into categories, Mm. this makes sense to me because it's not about frugality. It's not about like, oh, we have to cut our lifestyle expenses to, you know, have financial independence because we're allowed to have amazing lives currently, but still build our financial wealth, right? Yes, yes, yes. When we think about like this nest assets and this area, like what does that mean? Like what is what can that look like? So predominantly it would be there's multiple different asset classes. Uh, so say, for example, and, and it's debatable, but let's just say a, I'll go really right field and really high risk 
is let's say a cryptocurrency. And so it's some people debate it's a currency. Some people say it's an asset. It is more of a, a speculative vehicle. So, you, so an asset is traditionally, sorry if, if, if this is getting technical, but a, an asset is something that would produce, put money back in your pocket. Crypto doesn't really do that. So in, in most cases. So that's one sort of vehicle on the opposite side and probably more traditional and more common to what the listener has probably heard of is investing in property and investing in shares. And so all a new way to think about when I invest in shares is all it's really doing is just investing in other people's businesses. And so traditionally, sort of some of your more mainstream ways to do that is if you're buying, say, an index fund, which is a popular way for that many young people, younger people like to invest in, is what you're doing is you're buying a little slice of a whole bunch of different companies that track a particular, what they call an index and so what you're really doing is just say you've got uh, $10,000 or $1,000, $10,000 up front and $1,000 a month. And again, like I said before, this is, I don't know anything about the listener. I don't know anything about you. This is just general numbers and figures. So work out, work out yourself or see a professional. But let's just say you've got $10,000 and $1,000 spare is you might go, okay, well, I want to invest in shares. And what that does, and I want to just invest in just the highest, the, the market capitalization, basically just like everyday stocks that everyday shops and people shop at. And so what it does is you buy a little slice of the major companies. And so if it's Australia, it's the banks and the mining companies. And what it does is it allows you to get into the market, so to speak, and into a broad range of, of different asset classes and diversify, diversify across 200 or 300 or 500 different companies. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about sort of that as a pretty traditional vehicle, it's actually very re- mostly reliable. And as, if you've got a long enough time frame, what, what's been proven over time is it does actually go up. So that's sort of one bucket. And the other bucket is property. And so an investment property. And so what happens on that side is you put down a deposit and then people pay the return that you get instead of a dividend, which is what a company would pay you, your, your dividend on inside of an investment property is the rent that you get paid. Mm-hmm. So they're sort of the two ends of the spectrum or, or those last two I mentioned are more so like in the middle. And then you've got, say, cash, cash at the bank or term deposits um, or sort of any sort of fixed interest asset. So And you can see how the risk factor is lower on the cash side and higher on the cryptocurrency side mm-hmm. alternative asset side and so that's sort of the the vehicles that people can use to invest inside of that nest egg asset class and but you more so what we do at, at, at my company or the company that i work for is we're focused on the two predominant vehicles being shares and property mm-hmm. and included in those shares is superannuation so yeah, that, make, that makes heaps of sense to me. And I think like this whole conversation is just breaking down some of these concepts, which can be very confusing. And I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, that'll be like, okay, these are the options because this is all about options. This is yeah. how I'm seeing this now, yeah. right, of financial yeah. advice and advisory. Right. It's options. And then it's about going, well, what do you as the person that's getting this advice feel comfortable with? Like, do you want, do you feel comfortable with something that is more like high risk or yeah. more 
you know, safer. And so then that's when the options become the decisions for that person. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So it generally stems backwards from someone's goals. What ultimately, what do you want to achieve? Mm -hmm. So we spend a lot of time on what the person wants to achieve and from a goals perspective. And some people come in and they're really gung-ho on property and they love property. It's been a predominant vehicle for them. Maybe they know people who have done really well with property. And so they're really, really bullish on property. Uh, And if that's what they want, then we have a professional duty to help that person mm-hmm. see both sides. But if that's part of their goals, then we help we help people achieve their goals and what they want. Some people come mm. in and go, I don't I don't care what it is. I just want a hundred grand being I want the best outcome. Income. Yeah. Yeah. What, whatever that takes, I'm I'm happy to be guided by your expertise. Other people go in come in and they go, you know what? I've heard superannuation has some really great tax benefits. Can, can we look at that as a vehicle to help me achieve some of my more longer-term goals? And so it's either guided by someone, it's, it's always based upon, okay, what's this person's goals? And then stemming backwards from there, they might have preferences towards a particular investing style or investment vehicle, and that's where we can factor that in. And then we can stem it even further from there to at differing levels of, our expertise coming into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's sort of a, a broad picture. Yeah. I'm Where my head is going now is I'm thinking about, you know, especially the, the listeners on this podcast, whether they're business owners or coaches that don't have businesses, you know, people are connected because of our growth mindset. We want to learn things about the fitness industry, learn things about business, right? Where mm. my head is going now is, I kind of are going to people. So one person that has excess cash, excess time, excess things to be, you know what, I feel comfortable to be having these discussions around what I can do with that. But then I'm also thinking about the other person that might not necessarily feel like they have a big excess, but actually still want to be building their nest nest assets. So what I would like to kind of go down now is, I wrote down this question as you were talking, like, can you be building your nest egg and your nest assets when it actually feels like you're more living week to week? Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like like if I sit here at 35 having this discussion with you, yeah. I have excess yeah. and I feel like I'm in a position where I can do that. But even 25-year-old me, I don't know if I could connect with that kind of stuff because it felt like I'm just dealing with paying my bills or yeah, I'm just yeah. dealing with getting through the next week. Can you kind of like, you know, talk to that, like those type of people, if that mm, makes sense? Definitely. And the the hard reality is it's very difficult to do, to produce something if without any sort of surplus. So yeah, okay. if you imagine the the reason why you have surplus or anyone listening could or does have surplus is because at some point they've sacrificed what was coming in, they've sacrificed current consumption for future benefit. Mm-hmm. And so that's ultimately any sort of economic value is based upon, okay, I have this much coming in, I'm going to, and that's a scarce, scarce resource. I've got this much because money is a scarce resource. I've got this much coming in. I am going to either, you make a decision, I'm going to choose to spend all of that or sometimes over all of that if you've got credit and a credit card or buy now, pay later or whatever feature you've got. Some people go over their lifestyle and over what they're currently bringing in. But the reality is if we stem it back, if you've got nothing, then either two two things need to happen before you can even consider 
the investing. And this is basically like a punch in the face, which I think a lot of people can benefit yeah. from the situation, right? Is either have to increase my income or lower my expenses. Mm-hmm. And it sounds really simplistic, but the reality is it's they're the, they're the two things that you can do because in order to be doing some of the fun stuff, which is fun around investing, around seeing your assets grow and see, inside of seeing your bank account grow, and it's really addictive, but we need to have something to work with at the start to be able to put away. So you either need to lower that consumption or increase your capacity, which is fun as well. There's plenty of ways that, that people can can do that. Yeah. And I, I honestly think I want to continue that conversation around that Yeah, because you know, as I, as we sit here in our thirties and, mm-hmm. you know, you might be in a position for the listener who is in a surplus or not yet be in a surplus. And the reality is, is that to be playing around with this kind of cool stuff. And I think it's cool. I think it's so exciting to build and have these conversations. Mm-hmm. You have to be getting real with what your consumption is. Yeah. And like, this is a thing of our generation. Not everyone, this is, can be a gross generalization, cool. but it, it, you know, a lot of people do struggle with that. Yeah. And for that, for some advice and for some, I guess, discussions about that, what kind of advice or just thoughts in your experience to help someone get away from that like week to week so we can be in that surplus? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for your own experience, you're my generation, you're our generation sure. as well. Like what kind of stuff would come up for you for advice in that space, whether it's money management or consumption with with money like where yeah i don't know i think i think there's two schools of thought and and obviously i'm going to share mine but there's the the school of thought that's basically get in get get on a budget and really scrimp and scrounge and you know not have your coffee every day and and that sort of mentality and for some people that can be helpful because that's sort of the zone that they're in but i i like to think that you can't save yourself rich and so there's always, there's going to be a limit around, you know, how, how much clothes in your, how many how many clothes in your wardrobe can you sell on marketplace secondhand? How much unused stuff around the home can you get can you get rid of? And and all these side hustles that people talk about in in different YouTube videos or online or in these different Facebook groups around how to incre- how to increase your savings and and get on a budget. And those things can be helpful because if you're looking at those, you're obviously having a higher awareness around money and finances and that you want to have more in your life, more abundance. Uh, but there's only so much that you can do as far as saving. And even if mm. you yeah, stop having your coffee every day or some of these more mainstream pieces of advice that have sort of infiltrated uh, the world is people don't, but if I look at my own behavior, I don't want to, I don't want to do mm. that. I yeah. like having my coffee every day. I like being able to buy books. I like being able to support the lifestyle that, that I want to live. Yes, it's important to be aware of where money's going and live in reality. But at the same point in time, it's also about, okay, what do I need to do or how do I need to be thinking to take my income to a higher level? What skills do I need to develop? What And if you're a business owner, what client, what type of clientele do I need to start thinking about serving maybe either more of them or at a deeper level for the current clients that I've got? Or if you're currently employed, there's actually some really good ways to be able to increase your income, not just the generic stuff around, you know, go and ask for a raise uh, because there's only that might not be applicable for the person's situation or where they're working or maybe they've just got one or maybe they can't see. But more so how they could really, the the real question is 
how can I provide more value? <clears throat> and so it might just be a case of listing, finding a problem that you're currently, and this is for employed people, finding mm. a current problem that you're that you're seeing and you're a, a consistent thing that you're butting your head up against a wall and go, why does it have to be this way? Instead of complaining about it, think about what's a potential solution around this and pitch the idea. And then that's potentially a way to, that's when people say provide value, just provide value. It's so generic and vague because it it requires thought and it is mm. very high level, but then to apply it to your own situation, you have to start thinking, okay, well, what does that mean for my situation? Providing value is basically solving problems. <clears throat> and so how do I solve a problem in my current sphere? And maybe it's just writing five things down, five things down that really annoy you either in your business or in your workplace and they're all problems and if you were able to solve them or have someone else solve them then it's either going to make a better experience for your client or it's going to make a better experience for your bosses or the people that you work with and so there is actually opportunities to raise that income at, at many different situations but I think that's a better track to go because that's the thought the thought process behind it is how do I provide more value rather than how do I shrink and, and basically yeah. take up less space. It's like, no, I want to expand. I want to grow. I want to have a bigger yeah. impact in the world, which is, as you can imagine, a far bigger conversation and a far bigger piece of piece of action as opposed to so if you're looking outwards as opposed to looking inwards the, of, around your home or, or different ways that you can mm-hmm. cut down on that budget because ultimately unless you want to move to – Bali and or some very cheap place to live and basically go down to $500 per month of individual asset or individual um, expenses. Mm -hmm. It's for most people, that's not really a viable option. Yeah. And yeah, there's definitely ways to live cheap, but if you're not looking at other ways at simultaneously or instead of, and you're not looking for ways to increase that income, you're just constantly going to hit that ceiling. Mm. And whether that's like, you know, a coach that's employed, uh, a business owner themselves, someone that might not be in the fitness industry, like listening, it's it's the same the same kind of thing same applies. Yeah. yeah, and it's like I just wrote down in my journal as I'm taking notes because this is like this is I love having conversations because <laughs> I learn so much as well. It's like there's two two schools of thoughts as you're talking about. It's like the less, the pullback, the remove, you know, the cut down your coffees and all this kind of stuff. But if you're living in that mindset. Like that is going to infiltrate into everything. Like, and I myself as a mentor have experienced and been alongside business owners from both. Like Mm. I see the business owners that have got that scarcity and that, you know, less, 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 and they're always looking to scrimp, cut back, et cetera. And you know what? That mindset, it infiltrates into fucking everything. It really does. Whereas if we're looking at how can we provide more, where's the expansion, where can we grow, while still keeping our fucking feet on the ground, like that is just a level of different consciousness, a different level of conversation that you will be having with yourself and in your business hmm. and that just it's such a big thing for pushing forward so I think like with that this is this there's some really cool things that are coming through you know we mm-hmm. do need to have a surplus we do need to be having that if we want to really get real with our financial position in the future and the cool thing is is that it's all about options and there's so many options that we can do and if someone is listening and wants to understand what's the ideal option for them, then that's when they need to go and get individual advice. But at least knowing what is there, like this is helping even me because I'm in this position where it still is, 
to an extent, like, a, you know, where do I want to go? What's next for me? So I know yeah. that listeners will resonate with this. My next question um, with what you've just talked about there is I want to have a chat around this kind of woo-woo money mindset that I think actually um, can be really harmful for business owners and yeah. harmful for our generation um, around money and like, you know, living in this abundance mindset and right. sometimes pushing us further back. Yeah. What would you kind of speak to when you have a conversation around money mindset versus like skill set and that kind of piece? Yeah. It's it's such a can of worms. And <laughs> the reality is a lot of the people who are sharing money mindset, abundance mentality, manifestation, to me, anytime you hear those words, I'll just run in the opposite direction, mostly because the people who usually say that are selling a product that is designed to make them rich, not you. And so it's not really practical. It's not grounded. It's very, the strategies, there is no strategy, but if they're sort of the, the overarching higher level strategy is hope and wish and more so it's very vague, it's purposely vague. And so I think of that in the same vein as, say, uh, a horoscope in that if there wasn't any <laughs> labels next to the horoscope, I could basically, I could literally do a mix and match and probably relate to almost all of them. And whether you believe in horoscopes or not, I'm probably fitting fitting into the, the not so much. <laughs> so the, the problem with a lot of the money mindset abundance type people who are pushing that agenda is if you look at their life and how they run their business, it's not based upon vague, big picture, abundance, that mentality. They're granted, they've, they've got their offerings in check. They've got their business. They've got a website set up. They've got their offers. They've got things that are in place, packages and an exchange of money for value at some point down the track. And that's really that's the most important piece. That if you probably, I think, if you focus more on what those particular people who are claiming that stuff, if you focus more on what they're doing and learn from that, as opposed to their teachings, I think you can learn a lot more from that aspect. Mm. That's that's one side of that's sort of more of the my opinion on that industry, mm -hmm. because the opposite is grounded in practicality and probably more so like the logical side of things. And so it's not so much about stepping on people's dreams, but it's more so let's get real about this. Where are you at? Where do you want to be? And that can be the fun stuff. That can be the big picture thinking. Here's where I want to be. But at the end of the day, it has to be grounded in reality for that person based upon the skills that they currently hold or the time that they could invest in accumulating such skills so if someone is at a low level and just wants to there's always going to be a ceiling in every there's a ceiling in every industry on how much an individual can make because society deems what is the utility value of a particular activity and so if you're in a easily replaceable lower utility position then there's all there's going to be a cap on how much you can earn in that particular role, that particular societal exchange between what someone's willing to pay for mm. receiving that service from you or that product from you. Mm. And so it's also about, okay, what would I what would I like 
to receive in return for the work that I do. And this is just vague for now. Some jobs and some industries and some professions have a natural ceiling unless you unless you send up to a higher level, higher levels of leverage and start organizing people around achieving a certain outcome. But if you're a technical worker, say a coach, for example, who's just coaching, mm-hmm. is a technical coach, maybe they could get, let's just say at the high end of the spectrum, and yes, there's going to be outliers, but mm-hmm. let's just say they're really exceptional at what they do and they're a solo operator and they don't have the scaled side of things, we should say an online business and online offerings that don't involve them. But let's just say time for money, a coach, really good, $200,000, let's say, as a general cap mm-hmm. of a very high-end coach who knows how to price themselves, who's really good at what they do, but they are just like, I'm a single operator. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, and, and you know this personally, Ro, because you make a really good income personally, but then it wasn't enough for the lifestyle and the goals and the vision that you have. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. I need to expand, expand myself out. And that was one of the years and years ago, one of the very first things that you did to expand yourself is, mm-hmm. okay, I need to essentially replicate what I'm doing. I need a second staff member. And that was mm-hmm. the jump from technician and skilled labor into business owner. And now mm-hmm. you've got a second person ultimately earning income for you for so then you can increase your surplus to be able to either mm-hmm. reinvest back in the business or reinvest back into your nest egg assets ultimately. Mm-hmm. So it's more so about the grounding reality into the practical strategies that are going to help build wealth and grow wealth as opposed to the mindset side of things, which I think still plays, I would still consider it part of the equation, but mm-hmm. it's far less than what most people think. And, mo- and most of those programs are designed to, you've seen the landing pages mm-hmm. and, and the people out there, most of them is just designed for people who have a lower level of awareness and the lower level of awareness that you have, the more likely it is that you'll be duped by get rich quick and get mm-hmm. and fast, fast profit type programs. Because what you see, if it's low, if lower down on, on your value structure is what you're seeing is more pleasure, more good stuff, more mm-hmm. on the upside. That's what you're seeing because you're selectively biasing towards that. The other individual is only portraying a one-sided fantasy about what they can create. Would you love more abundance in your life? Would you love to, to travel, not worry mm-hmm. about work, uh, never never have to have a, another client conversation again, work purely purely anywhere in the world from 15 minutes a day? That's mm-hmm. playing for so many people's dopamine centres that mm-hmm. a rational person who understands hard work and then doesn't just fall in your lap will go, well, what sort of heart, what sort of work has to go into a system to create a vehicle that can mean I only work 15 minutes a day? Generally, mm. that's going to be something like 15 years of work that would have to go into something prior, very vague general figures, 15 years prior work, building a really solid deep foundation to be able to get to a point where you can basically look over a system for, say, 15 minutes a day and you're so high on the leverage scale that now you're approving decisions or you're looking over numbers or reports or whatnot, that that part of your life is in, in a way passively creating the lifestyle that you want to live and then you're only actively working 15 minutes. But to get yeah. there is so much work and every other yeah. fantasy that I listed off there before around not having to be in an office or, or being able to spend whatever money that you want 
all that stuff, if you look at the opposite, the better question is, okay, what, what is it going to take me to be able to get there? What do I need to exchange for someone to go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to trade my dollars for what your service offering. So it's really about mm. being grounded in reality as opposed mm. to, oh, this sounds really good because it does sound really good, of course, and every human being is going to be susceptible to fantasies around mm. getting something for nothing. We're just biologically driven mm. and biologically, biologically designed to seek out more pleasure than pain, but it takes a rational mind to, ah, hang on a second, no, I need to I need to just jump back into reality here. What are the downsides of, of this program or this decision or this person or this idea or just to look at the other side of the coin because otherwise you'd just be susceptible basically your entire life bouncing from quick fix or quick career mm-hmm. or quick relationship. It goes to any any area. Yeah. You're just bouncing around like a like a paper bag in the wind because you don't have the critical thinking to look at the other side. That rational point. Obviously as well. Yeah. Yeah. And like that's a thing because like I will still come up with business owners. Like typically the business owners that I tend to work with now will be people that are in a surplus that have great businesses and all this kind of stuff. And they're not they're susceptible to these kind of things in our industry. And they can make money, but they can't, quote, unquote, hold money or know what to do with the money because there's that rational point. And that's when they'll typically come to me and be like, you know, I'm making multiple six figures. I'm doing all these things, but I'm burnt the fuck out. I don't know where my money's actually going because it still Mm -hmm. feels like I'm on my ass. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, there's that rational side of like what's actually happening. Like that's not to say that you know, if we all live in a state of being like someone frumping around wearing a brown cardigan with a really shitty attitude, that that's going to help you make money and make a surplus of money. Like, you know, we have to be in these mindsets to be able to show up and do the work. But any, it's not to say anyone can generate money, but in the fitness industry, there are so much opportunities. But then we also see, and you would see, and I've seen with business owners, that they, they get to a point of creating the surplus and then the rational point and what do you do with it and how do you maximize this kind of stuff is not there. Yeah. So I think that's kind of like the, the, the last point that I want to pull on is like if we, if we were to speak to a business owner that mm. has – feels like they've got like these money mindset issues or these narratives around money and stuff like that, whether they're in a surplus or not, Mm. like what would be some practical kind of rational, logical areas where they would need to build some skill sets, do some learnings, like that kind of stuff, not only for the current financial health of themselves, but also for the financial independence that they want to build. Like what would be those kind of handful of things that you're like, you need to learn about this. You need to spend some time here. Depends on how hands-on you want to be. So the the more hands-on, I mean, there's plenty of resources out there. And again, it's it's about knowing who to listen to or learning who to listen to and learning who to tune out. And so I think a lot about levels of maturity and so it's definitely the older sort of style of thinking or the immature style of thinking about maturity maturity levels is age and and time based in an industry or time based in a particular activity. But it's mm-hmm. more so about experience and the perception of, of how broad your mindset can be in a particular area that will dictate the levels of maturity. And so if you have a lot of experience in a particular area, and know either side of each decision, 
then you're actually very mature in that area. And say, for example, relating it back to the gym, gym maturity to me is waking up and you've got a planned gym session. You're going to do a gym session that morning. Gym maturity is going, actually, today I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling like a workout. But knowing the difference between I'm being lazy versus no, I need to rest. But that can only come with time and experience and knowing mm-hmm. the difference between going to the gym when you are tired and having a subpar session and going, actually, yeah, like that was that was pretty shitty. I was yawning the entire time or whatnot. And the times where you go, wow, that was amazing. I didn't want to go, but I went and it was one of the best sessions I've had. Maturity is about knowing, knowing how to tell the difference between between those two, which is a pretty tight, tight rope balance, right? Mm. So if we think about maturity in the sense of wealth, is it's knowing like an immature mind and an immature wealth IQ, immature immaturity inside of the wealth and financial markets or, or world is how do I get rich quickly? How do I get the maximum for the least amount of effort or time or energy or experience? And so if you're learning from individuals who are only painting one side of the picture or making things sound really good. And you can usually tell because your dopamine levels, not that you necessarily have a dopamine dial on on the inside of you or anything, but you'll notice that you're really excited to to hear, hear more about what they're saying as opposed to what I would consider a great mentor and a great teacher. When you hear them speak, it's almost like a remembering and and, and an understanding of, oh, that, that just makes sense as opposed yeah. to, oh, wow, that, I never thought about it from that way. Yeah. And which, which can be helpful, obviously, but if, if you're in that mindset of how do I get started immediately, I need to be doing this right now versus, hmm, that makes sense. Yeah, I'll put, that, I'll put that into the filing cabinet of what I need to be considering before I make a decision. Not in the sense of I'm just going to, accumulate knowledge for the next 20 years before making a decision on what I need to do next. There's obviously a time period that, that action needs to happen in, but too, too quick action leads to pretty, can, can be pretty detrimental because it's easier to plan forward and make structured moves as opposed to <clears throat> making some really bad moves early on because you're so immature in the, in the cycle <clears throat> that you just want to get started on something and you just mm-hmm. can't wait. So, Action, immediate action can often come at the detriment of future value. <clears throat> so if we start thinking about the, do I, am I DIY? I want to start to build this up myself and learn about this. Then that's definitely a possibility. For example, books and podcasts and YouTube videos and, and using your own critical filter to go, you know what, this is a bunch of BS or, mm. you know what, this actually sounds legitimate I'd like to learn more about that and listening to something or reading something or going through something and a piece of information and using the triggers in your mind to go, I don't understand that. I need to go down that rabbit hole. And so the first time you listen to maybe this podcast and I've talked about financial assets and superannuation and nest eggs and shares and index funds and cryptocurrency and home deposits and all these terms that may be very new or very the very first time you're hearing it, if you want to delve into that, learn about them, look at the definition, start to Google those particular terms. And then once you have an understanding about what they are, then over time, you start to be able to put the different 
the different pieces together <clears throat> because what's really challenging when you're learning anything for the first time is it can seem like it's very disparate and it can seem like nothing seems to be interrelated with each other and that can be really confusing because as humans we love to connect things <clears throat> and we love to know how one thing connects to the other so business and wealth or business and personal fulfillment and most people can sort of join join those two dots mm. but then it's about okay how do I start to connect everything to my life's purpose or the thing that I'm interested in right now and and this, the quicker you make connections the more you get it the more that you get that positive release of dopamine so to speak and the more that you want I mean if you're getting a positive response from doing something you're going to want to keep on doing it <clears throat> and so if you can start to see how different things interrelate how that's going to infiltrate and affect your life in a positive way and you start to see the savings build up and you start thinking about all the different things that you might be able to to do with that money or build your investments and then it starts to grow and snowball that's part one is DIY learn about it but that usually comes a point where you get to a certain level of financial literacy and understanding and you need further assistance from a professional or someone that can see things that you can't necessarily see to provide mm. an oversight of your current situation, look at what your goals are and and look at your current strategy and go, hmm, well, if you keep doing this, you're going to get to here, but which is this much of a gap between where you want to be or where you could be. And at that point, that's when you have a professional that, that looks over things and maybe provides, in this instance, a financial plan or a business plan in your case or whatever it is. But the, the thing about it is there's only so much time that you have on the planet. I think we were, we were talking the other day about how you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Mm. And so curious people, imagining most of the people listening to this are quite curious and interested in learning and growing and developing an ambition and all these great things. But there does come a point where the opportunity cost of doing one thing naturally, as, as, as the definition would suggest, is that, the, is that the cost of learning or developing or spending time in another thing? And so eventually you do have to make some smart decisions about, you know what, do I want to, out, do I want to delve into this area or am I happy to outsource it? And mm. I think it's important to have a, a, at least a general foundational level of understanding about your finances. So say, for example, what's coming in, what's going out, sort of a, a general understanding of that, that gap that might exist, either in the negative or the positive. And then look at, okay, what am I currently doing? And what are some ways, which we've spoken about in this podcast, mm. what are some ways that I can start to think about this stuff and using the strategy I mentioned before about, okay, well, Hayden said something about index funds. What are they? Oh, wow, I found a whole bunch of resources on that or books or podcast videos or whatnot. I'm going to learn about learn some more about that. And then eventually you hit your the ceiling of what you perceive as possible and mm -hmm. at that point, you either continue breaking through and finding new material or you go, you know what, my time is better spent doing yeah. what I'm really great at, coaching people, understanding how the human body moves, understanding what how the thoughts connect between what someone does in the gym and the out, outwardly outward reflection of the results mm. they're seeing in their lives. That's my thing. I need to focus on that. And, yeah, I can understand and hold the conversation. And, and you talk about this a lot as well around – when you go to your uh, meetings with your accountant is you've now got a level of understanding 
that you understand the, the language, <clears throat> at least enough to understand the, and be in the same conversation, the same room, mm. you understand the language of accountancy and money and, and what's mm-hmm. happening at the books level of your business. So you can walk in that meeting confident that, yeah, you're not going to know all the strategies and all the ins and outs and, and the individualistic little rocks that, that fall mm-hmm. apart. But when your accountant says, okay, bro, this is how much net profit you've made this year. Mm-hmm. You're not going, oh, what's, what's net profit? This is how many assets exist. This is the, mm-hmm. the options moving forward from the future. Have you thought about maybe maybe mm-hmm. we're at a stage now where we can start to introduce GST or mm-hmm. have you thought about getting a, a second person on the books or whatnot and here's what it might look like mm-hmm. from a tax perspective. And But you can now walk in that room and be, okay, yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. I, I can, I'm on the same level now. This, I'm speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. So the same goes for any area of life is mm-hmm. if I'm coming to a coach and I don't understand, like there's going to be some people that come in and they're going to understand, if you just say RPE, they're going to understand what that is. Yeah. Other people are coming in and going, what, RPE who, what? I understand what, what that yeah. means. So they don't know. And they don't, they haven't le- reached a level of maturity to understand, body maturity to understand what an RPE 8 feels like. Yeah. Because, and you'd say it, most people are thinking, okay, like that was, that was really hard. And yeah. they've done 10 reps and rep nine and 10 were almost the same. You said do 10 and rep nine and 10, are almost the same speed and velocity as rep one and two. Mm-hmm. And you're going, well, you said it was really, really hard, but I'm a coach. I can see I've seen thousands and, and yeah. tens of thousands of reps. That wasn't a nine or 10. Yeah. But the, and the individual over time, you would see it, your high level lifters now, oh man, bro, that was, yeah, the better five. And you, okay, yeah, that, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. And then they struggle and they grind and they go, man, that was a nine. And you go, yeah, that's that's fair as well. Yeah. But only yeah. with time of knowing the contrast and, again, knowing both sides of things, you only know easy when you also know hard. Mm. So you only know what a nine feels like because you also know a five, which is everything's mm. a ten. There is, no, there is no contrast because you haven't experienced. It's something you have to experience within yeah. yourself. Yeah. And I think like that's a really beautiful way to kind of wrap up this conversation is like, I think when people want to talk about finances and like, you know, growing their business and being in a position to grow their financial wealth, it's like, I want everything now. I want all the answers. I want all the options, but it's like, Mm. it is levels. It's like your training level. You have to learn routine and habit before you can probably have a discussion around intensity and tension in your body. Mm. And it's the same with finances. Like you need to know, like, how to read a, you know, a, a, your, your balance sheet. You need to yeah. understand what terms are. You need to understand when to register for GST. Like we need to have those discussions first before you can even discuss what you're going to do with. Off. Yeah, exactly. And I think like having this conversation and breaking it into these concepts that can feel quite big and scary and make it just really applicable to us as business owners, mm-hmm. um, I think is so valuable because yes, you can then come to conversations, but then also know when the conversation is too big and then mm-hmm. to outsource it. And that's like when I started talking to you, like some mm-hmm. of the stuff now with my account and I'm like, I don't understand franking credits, nor do I think I'm ever going to. So like, yeah. can I not like have to learn this? Yeah. And it's like, that's why I hire people. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Because you don't want you're like you've decided. Well, do I really need to know? Yeah. And, and imputation credit offsets, and or, or, or do I just need to make a whole bunch of of money 
understand uh, what I need to know, but also understand what I don't need to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think and that's I think, yeah, the part. Yeah, it's just so valuable, like knowing what you need, what stuff can help you make decisions, but also knowing when you need to outsource and who to outsource to and also who – you know, who is in your team? Because when I think about you as a financial advisor, you to me are not equal to people that I've discussed in the past or had conversations with because you're, it's not that they don't know their jobs or they don't know these things, but it's a different level of our generation. Like it's different conversations, like even talking about money mindset and how we agree with some stuff and we don't agree with some stuff. Like that's not even a conversation that I might have with my old accountant of five years ago that yeah. was doing stuff for cheap. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, it's yeah. different. Exactly. And it's really, yeah. it really does stem into like the specialized knowledge. Yeah. Is because you can learn, the challenge with learning something new is you can accumulate a lot of broad general knowledge and, and broad general knowledge is, is very accessible for good reason because it, it works to get you to a certain level. It will get you to level two. From level zero, it will get you to level two. Just like in fitness, if you've got the the high-level concepts of put more weight on the bar, lift with good form, get some good rest, eat, eat good food, and don't stuff yourself with high with, with crap. Uh, that that sort of styles and use compound movements. Like you could, you could spend your entire life parroting that particular, and almost everyone who's done an hour of research into a good, a good video or a good, a good mentor, they can pick that up, right? They can get to that level two. But we're talking about, okay, how do I go from level to from level two to three to four to five to six? Is it takes more specific and specialized knowledge, customized to your situation? Because once we start getting above that certain level is the, let's say, for example, like progressive overload with compound movements, but now the person's slower at picking the deadlift off the ground as opposed to the top level of the movement. Now that's where you come in with your specialized programming to know, okay, we need to do this many reps with this much rest with these particular accessory exercises, which, which don't burn you out or you're not burnt out from doing it before because of micro muscles that may be, be affected because of your particular body type and your particular leverage points. Now we're starting to get very personalized and that's what you're paying for. So the mm. person who the person who's lifting with the, the broad concepts of progressive overload, eat good stuff, all the all the big rocks I mentioned before, they'll mm. definitely get they'll get to an awesome point. And they mm-hmm. might they might get to 100, 120 kilo deadlift. Mm-hmm. But then if we go, okay, but how do I go to 160? Mm-hmm. Is it possible for me to lift four plates? Like how do I get to 180? And I know you've had lifters that, that have done that, mm-hmm. but they, they are, they've invested. different. They need different stuff. They need yeah. different, more personalized, more specialized levels. Mm-hmm. It's the same with finance. It's the same with business. It's the same with any area is you'll get to a broad level, but you get to a, a specific level with the broad generally easily accessible wisdom, mm-hmm. wisdom of the masses. But mm-hmm. to really excel is you need that personalized specifics to your situation advice if you want to go from level two to level 10. Mm-hmm. Some people are happy with level two and they're more than happy to go to the gym and just keep doing their thing, but that's not who we're talking to. We're, we're talking to people who are 
listening to podcasts, people have invested mm-hmm. their time that they could be spending in a multitude of other areas and ways, but they've decided to listen to us for an hour, mm. then obviously their, their mindset is how do I become different? How do I separate myself from the person that I used to be? How do I get more life out of life? And so mm. that with that mindset is, okay, well, I'm ready, I'm ready or at least willing to think about and open the conversation of I'm at level two now. What are some of the things I need to start need to start to think about? Because just save, saving more than I'm earning, uh, save, saving more than I'm spending, and putting the difference inside of index funds, for example, very general, very broad brushstrokes that we can paint, that will get you to level two. But yeah. okay, but what what's the structure that I need to put it in? And are these investments actually in the risk? Do they suit the risk appetite that I have? Do I understand maybe where I want to be, but then do other strategies, do they all interconnect with each other or are there ways that I could be saving tax along the way? So you can mm. see how we go from, look, you can build a $100,000, $200,000, million-dollar index fund portfolio, but is it right for you? Is it in the right ownership vehicle for you, what you want to achieve? Was there more efficient ways to get there? Are you protecting the assets along the way? Like all these kind of conversations that's what you hire a professional for because they can see things that you can't see. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I love that. This makes me so fucking excited. I just want to like, oh, I just want to keep learning and doing and like, yeah. you know, now go like, cause I'm in that position where I'm like seeking that extra help yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and this just makes me really excited to then want to hire people and have discussions and, and think about that personalized stuff for my life, my financial wealth with my family and growth and all that kind of stuff. So I just can't thank you enough. Like I sat here and I wrote down paper notes for myself oh, yeah. um, because this is why yeah. I love having people on the podcast to shed their knowledge. And I think this, this conversation has been so fucking valuable. Um, and I'm really excited for the listeners to just think their teeth into it and, and open these big discussions. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, and like, you just showed up from the get go in your attire and your dapper like suit. Um, and just thank you so much, Hayden. Amazing. Right. Well, it's a, it's been a privilege to get to know you and continue to, build a, a professional relationship but also a personal relationship over as we're saying the day like seven years now so oh my gosh pretty, pretty incredible wild wild times yeah, hey? thank you for having me on it's amazing oh thank you hayden and um you know the last thing i just want to do is where can listeners um find you because you're putting out some fucking valuable content as well online mm-hmm. as well let's just i think the best place for right now is instagram so yeah. at uh, wealth and wisdom underscore. I think there's two underscores because wealth and wisdom under wealth and wisdom <laughs> all spelt out with only one underscore was taken. So taken. <laughs> just a couple on there, or just search Hayden Wilson, you'll find you'll find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that podcast, everyone, and take all that juice and you know build your financial fucking independence. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Thank you.